I want to invite you to join me uh, in week two of our study, our One Another series. Let me start my timer. It's always helpful. It, w- it was an incredibly crazy week. There were amazing highs. There were gut-wrenching lows. The, the, the week included moments where Jesus was riding on a donkey into Jerusalem and people were yelling and shouting and throwing palm branches and recognizing him as the king. There, there was the moment where the woman anointed Jesus' feet with, with oil, with her tears, and she kept talking about his death, that he was going to die. There was, there was a moment where the, the Greeks came to a couple of his disciples and said, hey, we want to see Jesus. Would you take us to Jesus? We want to know who he is. And so they brought him, and Jesus said, I don't know, he, shalom. I imagine was what he said first was shalom. And then he tells them, you want to see me? You want to know what I'm about? If you're going to be my disciple and follow me, you need to lay down your life. You need to let go of everything. And it's going to cost you your life to, to follow me. But boy, were they looking forward to the Passover meal. And I can almost hear Peter. That's who I connect with. I, I can hear him just as they're walking to this room that had, been, that had been arranged for them to share this incredible moment of celebration of God's faithfulness in this meal called Passover. How excited they must have been. This has been a crazy week. I'm telling you, man, highs, low, I'm tired. But we get to have dinner with Jesus tonight. And we're going we're gonna to break bread together and we're going to remember what God did for his people and setting them free from slavery. And we're going we're gonna to eat some good food and there's going to be some good fellowship. Anybody ever, after a hard week or after a tough season, there's something about just sitting down, having a nice meal together. I got to do it, Becky and I got to do it last night with some part of our family. And to be served and just to talk about how good God is and what he's doing in our life and Maybe they had some questions about the week. Maybe we're going to get a, a chance to ask him about what was Tuesday about, or man, Thursday afternoon, that, what, was, what was that about? And I can, I can almost hear Peter just being really excited because I imagine his voice was louder than everybody else's voice. I can't prove that. But if you have a group of people, if you're watching this group at a restaurant, you'd probably hear Peter's voice above the rest. And as they walked into this upper room, they come and here's the meal. The meal is laid out and I don't know if they fought over where to sit. They'd done this before. Maybe they'd learned their listen. But who gets to sit next to who? Do you know some of you do that when you come in on Sundays? Yeah. It's kind of fun. Can I, tell you, can, I, can I pull back the curtain? Sometimes when we move, that we, we rearrange the chairs. Then a couple of us will stand back there and watch you come in and watch you go. And then you reluctantly pick your... If you're one of those people that sits in the same place every time. Oh, come on. You guys be more honest than that. Bunch of liars. They come in. They begin to see the meal. They begin to get ready. And they begin to realize that something's missing. Maybe it had been a hot day. Maybe it was one of those humid hot days that we have in the Mediterranean area in the, in the Near East there. And maybe they were a little bit sweaty. And maybe they had a chance to, to take a shower or kind of prepare for a meal. Because we do that, right? For a special meal, you get dressed up and you get cleaned up. This is going to be fun. Maybe they had the chance to do that. But what they couldn't have done is kept their feet from getting dirty on a hot, humid day walking in open shoes through dirt roads. And as they're talking, I think the, 
the chatter began to kind of quiet down, and then there was this uncomfortable, awkward silence because as they lay down and take their place, it became apparent pretty quickly. You know, I was smelling the olive oil and the, and the, and the, and the fresh bread, and oh, it just smelled so good, but now I'm smelling something else. Peter, where did you go today? Check the bottom of your feet. You ever do that when you come in from the house? Oh, come on. If you have a dog, you know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, you get a whiff of something, and everybody starts doing this. What in the world? These are real people. This is a real moment. And this awkward silence is all built around the fact that there's nobody at the door. There's, no, there's the basin. There's the water. There's the towel. But there's nobody to take that and wash our feet. There's not a servant that is dedicated to washing our feet. Now, we're not told how long this goes on. I don't know. We're kind of left guessing. But at a key moment that only God was aware of in their hearts and in their mind, Jesus gets up from his place, and he goes over and he takes off his outer shirt and he puts a, his outer garment and he puts a towel around his waist and he gets the basin of water and he goes and begins to wash their feet. Who failed? Wait a minute. Who, who, who picked this place? You ever have that happen in your family? <laughs> like a hotel? I have stories. <laughs> you know, family vacations. Who picked this place? Or at a restaurant and the service or the food company? You know, all right, who picked this place? Who decided we'd come here? You remember who it is? It's Peter and John. Luke tells us that Jesus, the other gospels say two disciples, but Luke says, he records that, that Jesus specifically picks Peter and John and says, hey, go make these arrangements. In fact, I want you to go into town, and you're going to see a guy with a water jug. Go up to him and say, hey, we need to use your master's place. Can you tell us where that's at? And the guy with the water jug takes them up, and they make the arrangements. Where's the guy with the water jug now? Boy, wouldn't it be handy to have him now? And as they're arguing, as they're thinking internally in their heads, or they're maybe saying it to each other, maybe they're whispering, who picked this place? Who set this up? Well, it was Peter. It's always Peter. And Peter's over there watching, hearing, and as this is going on, Jesus gets up and he begins to come to each disciple and he begins to wash their feet. You remember this moment? It's in John chapter 13. And when he's done washing their feet, he says this to them. When Jesus had washed their feet and he'd put back on his outer clothing in verse 12 of John 13, he reclined again, he went back to his place, and he said to them, said to them do you know what I have done for you? Yeah, you picked the wrong guy to make the arrangements for this meal. Should have picked Matthew or picked... Do you know what just happened? We all came in here and there was nobody to wash feet and you all were talking, you're all excited and you found your places at the table and you begin to look around and you realize and maybe you begin to think, wow, somebody needs to wash feet so we can enjoy this meal because they reclined, their feet weren't under the table, they were around them but none of you got up to wash your feet. And you're probably a little stunned that it was me that I got up to wash your feet. Do you know what just happened? Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. You call me your rabbi, your teacher, and, your, and, your, and God, the Messiah. And you're speaking rightly. You're right when you say that because that is what I am. I am your rabbi and your Messiah, your teacher and your Lord. So, 
I want to help you guys figure this out, disciples. If, as your Lord, as your Messiah, and as your rabbi, I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And if that's not clear enough, and for some of us, he needs to add this next sentence. Do you see it in your Bible? For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Now, what, what exactly is happening here? It, what is he doing? And the literal people in the room, Peter being one of them, would say, well, he washed our feet. And that would be correct. He did wash their feet. But don't miss what Jesus reveals. It's more than just washing feet. It could have been anything, right? But it was in a moment where God had arranged where there's a missing piece and there's an opportunity for his disciples, any of his disciples, they could have all fought over who was going to wash feet. Because one of the things that Jesus in this week that they had just experienced, if you go back to John 12, there's a moment where he, he describes his disciples as servants. This was not a new message to them. And Jesus had revealed himself as a servant. And he had just reminded them in a public place, in an interaction with other people. And yet here in this moment, they're all sitting there, and Jesus steps up and he serves them, and he says, do you understand really what I'm doing? What I'm doing is I'm giving you an example of how you're to treat each other. This idea of serve one another. I was thinking of this last night when we were at, um, we were at Chevy's, and the food was, the food was good, but I, 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 to be honest, I was fixated on, on, on our server, because I'm thinking about this, and I'm trying to be present in the moment, but I'm just, I'm thinking about this idea of serving, and she was good, you know now on the receipts, they give you the percentages, 18, per, it says good, it has, it has labels, right, good, great, excellent, or something, and you know, she did the basic thing of a, of a server. She brought us our stuff, usually on time. She forgot a few things. But I got thinking, I was watching her, and, and her, she was doing her job, and she was serving other people. And this idea, you can go through the motions, the external motions of serving people. In her case, it's her job. Jesus is talking about how we live our lives that we serve one another, that we see ourselves, we think of ourselves in a certain way. And I love that Jesus is visual. Anybody else? He's taught this many times, but now he's showing them. He's showing them what this looks like. What he's doing is he's giving his an example, his disciples an example of what it means to serve. And we can't miss that Jesus brings into this moment the fact that he is rabbi and messiah, that he is teacher and lord. You with me? He, he brings that in. He says, you say this about me, and it's true. I'm glad you say that. But don't miss the point that if I am God, and I am come to earth as the Messiah, and I am your teacher, I am your rabbi, and I'm willing to serve, what's he saying? He's saying hierarchy disappears in, in, in the land of service, in the kingdom of God. You, you, you tracking? He says, yes, I am this, and yet here I am showing you that we're to serve one another. We have a responsibility for one another. Would you agree? If, just, if, this, if we're done this morning, I hope this example of Jesus is enough. We're not done. 
But that in itself, just seeing his example, should allow us to come to this conclusion, bring us to this conviction that we have a responsibility for others. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. The author of Hebrews says, we need to consider, we need to think very carefully, intentionally. In fact, it means to direct your whole mind towards something. Let us consider, let us think hard on this. Let us consider one another. Let's think hard on others outside of ourselves so that the result would be that we are able to provoke love and good works, not neglecting the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the author of Hebrews saying? He's saying in a different way, but he's saying the same thing. We have a responsibility to each other. We have a responsibility to each other. Now, some of you, the only, the only what, your, what your experience has been so far with this church family is Sunday mornings from 10.30 to 12-ish. And it's hard to, it's difficult, maybe impossible, to grasp what this means if that's your only interaction with, with a group of people. Right? Now, am I chastising you for, no, I'm not. I'm trying to encourage us that if we're going to live out what it means to be responsible to each other, we have to be engaged in one another's lives. Whether it's Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or youth group tonight or home groups that are coming, different ways of serving and getting involved, this, traveling down, being a part. There's many, many, what are the, why do we have so many things in our bulletin? Why are there so many touch points? Because if we're going to live out this responsibility that we have, that I have to you and you to me, we have to engage one another's lives. And as we learned last week, it's more than just proximity. Because a husband and wife can live in the same house and not live out their responsibility to serve one another. Do we know this? It's more than proximity. There's a oneness that God expects in his family. We are responsible for one another. Let me, let me say it this way, and if, you, if, if this will help clarify for some of you, write this down. Sacrificing self to serve others is the heart of God. Giving whatever you have, sacrificing self to serve other people is the heart of God. And in fact, it is at this, the epicenter of God's eternal purposes. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. Listen to Mark chapter 10. Even the Son of Man, even the Rabbi, the Messiah, even Jesus did not come to this world to be served. Well, then why did Jesus come? He came to serve. The creator of the universe came, took on human form, walked among us so that he could serve us and to give his life as a ransom for many. Sacrificing self, laying down self in order to serve others is the heart of God and it is at the center of his eternal purposes. We're going to spend eternity serving Jesus. We need, to get, we need to get comfortable with this, this mantle, this title, this, this whatever you want to call it. I'm a servant. I'm, I'm a father, a husband, a pastor, a friend, a son, a papa, a neighbor. I have a lot of different roles that I have in people's lives. What ties them all together? I'm a servant. I'm a child of God. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And he, he calls me to live my life, to go and make disciples, to serve other people. We're to serve one another. Join me in Philippians chapter 2. 
We're going to spend some time here this morning in Philippians chapter 2. So if John 13 is kind of the boots on the ground, that's kind of the reporter news tonight at 11. Guess what's happening? There was nobody to wash feet, and so, you know, what? News at 11. You know, the, the, the rabbi gets up and washes his disciples' feet. Never been done before. News at 11. That's kind of the boots on the ground moment. If that's the case, then Philippians 2 is the the theological perspective. It's the eternal perspective that God shares shares with us through the Apostle Paul in the working of the Holy Spirit in his life. You come to chapter 2 of Philippians, and Paul says this, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, man, are those good things? Let me read that again. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of his love, expressions of his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection and mercy, again, are those good things? That he's describing the relationship we have with him and his family. If these things are true, which Paul believed they were, make my joy complete. This is what it should look like now in the family of God because of what God has done for us. You should be thinking the same way. You should be having the same love. You should be united in spirit, being of one accord. And you should be intense. You should be thinking about one purpose. Do you see a theme through there? There's a oneness, isn't there? There's a unity. We're thinking, we're acting, behaving. We're we're moving in the same direction. This doesn't happen if we aren't willing to embrace this mantle that I am here to serve other people. If you're living as, as, as a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, and you're living your life, whoever we are, if we're living our life for self, we are not living as a servant, and we are missing what God intends for this life to be. Serve one another. Think the same way. Have the same love. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then he goes on. Do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, jealousy, self-serving. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. This word is a, it describes a specific kind of pride. It's, it's the pride that has no basis. You know what I mean by that? It, it, I saw it the other day. It was a football game. I won't tell you who was playing. It wasn't the Jets, man. But um, I don't remember the teams, honestly. But... Somebody, it was a cornerback, knocked a pass away, and he started celebrating like he, he just went to the Super Bowl. And I remember looking at him like, dude, that's your job. You know, do your job. You didn't do it the last eight plays. That's why you're losing. But, you, you know, there was, this, there, there was this conceit. You know, I can't, I'm not supposed to dance, sorry. I confess my sin to my wife. I promised her I wouldn't dance. I almost tried to do a little sprinkler or something. I don't know. This, this conceit is like, yeah, look what I did. And there's no basis in reality for that pride. Do we do that? Not just the football players. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Uh, we already don't like this text. More important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. In fact, Paul says to the the church in Philippi, he says, he's speaking to us, adopt the same attitude, literally think just like Jesus. Adopt the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus. I would, 
in my mind, I imagine somebody as they're reading this letter, remember when Jesus washed the feet? Remember that? Is that what he's talking about? And, and if I was there, I would, yes! Think just like Jesus. I can't prove that. Think just like Jesus. Who, Jesus, existing in the form of God, he came as the Messiah. He's God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or held onto by sheer force. Instead, he emptied himself. He stepped away from the position. Did he stop being God? No, he did not. He can't. He's God. Always has been, always will be. But he stepped away from the position and what came with that. He emptied himself by assuming the way he did it is he put on the form, the nature, internal and external, of a servant. Do you see it? God came from heaven and he came and was born and he lived among us and he lived the time that he was, that he was here as rabbi, as messiah, as king of kings, all those things are true. But the theological perspective, the eternal perspective of God is, Jesus, we're, I love this world, you're gonna go. Yes, I'm gonna go. The Holy Spirit's gonna go and be the power. You're gonna step away from the position here at the right hand in heaven. You're gonna go take on human form. You're gonna live with people and you're gonna be a servant. You're gonna be a servant. And Jesus said, if they say amen in heaven, he said, yes, amen, may it be so. That's why I'm going. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Do you see the connection? Servant, humanity. Who's excluded from being a servant? My dog. And trust me, she is not a servant. Right? Humanity, he came on, took on the form of humanity as a servant, and when he had come as a man, he had taken on this form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He followed the will of God. He served the will of God, even to death on a cross. I have some, some truths that I, that I believe we can take from this, and I want to share them with you this morning. What I learned, what we can learn from Jesus when we think about what it looks like to serve other people, to be a servant. Number one, from this text, I see this. I need to choose between me first and others first. I need to choose between me first and others first. Many times it's easy to serve. Uh, trunk or treat, that was a blast. I would have rather done something else on Sunday night, you know, and I would have rather not been looking like a goofball in my outfit, and you know, and it was a lot of work, and we spent money. But all that said, it was fun. Thank you, Matt and your team, it was fun. It was easy to go, yeah, I'll sacrifice Sunday night football and whatever else, and I'll be here. Other times it's not so easy. This is where the conflict comes. When there's conflict between, the, in this moment, if I serve someone else, it's gonna mean that me and what I want, my desires, my whatever gets put on the back shelf and the other person becomes more important. Their need trumps my comfort, trumps my whatever. Do we see that in Jesus? Do we? Yeah, we do. In fact, in John 12, the, the week that I described, he has that moment. We'll see it in the Garden of Gethsemane as well, won't we? But he has that moment in John 12 saying, man, this is a tough serving people at the cost of my life. I need to choose. If I'm going to follow in Jesus' footsteps and serve others the way I'm commanded, I need to choose between me first and others first. I love this verse in Galatians 6. 
verse two, chapter 6. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Think of this picture with me. I'm called to carry someone else's burden. Do you know why we often don't carry someone else's burden? Because we are carrying our own burdens. Right? Did you see, did you see Wayne hand me this this morning? Did anybody see that moment? Thank you, Wayne. He hands me this, this mic, and so I need to carry your burden and take that mic from you. The problem was I got all this other stuff in my hands, and it's like, oh my goodness, Wayne, why are you doing this to me? We do it to each other all the time, right? These moments where we say, okay, the Holy Spirit sparks something, and he prompts us, and we see someone with a burden, spiritually, physical, whatever. We become aware of somebody's burden. Why don't we just step in? Because we go realize I'm carrying a bunch of my own burden. So what do I need to do in order to carry that other person's burden? I need to drop it. I need to put, I need to put mine down. Don't drop it because it might be fragile. And now I can carry someone else's burden. Isn't that a life of servitude, being a servant? If I asked the server last night, I said, hey, could you give me another Pepsi? And she goes, you know what? I got so many people here to serve. You know, come on, just give me a break. I'm, I'm running behind. I got, you know, okay, tip time, you know. <laughs> because that would be shocking, right? But you're, this is your role is to serve. If we're going to serve one another, we have to choose. There will be moments, and they'll be regular. They will sometimes be daily. It'll show up in your marriage. When your spouse is sharing with you a burden that they're carrying, and you're already full up to here with your own. You know what I mean by this? Oh, my goodness. And in my case, she says, hey, this is what happened at work today. This is what I'm struggling with. Okay, 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 fine. You know what? Oh, that's nice. Okay, yeah. And I walk away. Have I served her? Why? Because I'm so wrapped up in my own burden, my own challenges, whatever, that I'm unwilling to put those down and carry her burden. We are going to have to choose regularly between me first and others first. Number two, I need to see people the way Jesus sees people. And I'm just going to tell you, this is hard. If you don't know this already, I don't know what world you're living in. And I mean that graciously, but it's hard to see people like Jesus sees people. You know how I know it's true? Because it's hard for you to see me like Jesus sees me. Come on, let's be real. Really, Dad? It's like my dad's got both hands up. <laughs> he got, he got, he's going to have to have surgery on his shoulder. It's hard to see people the way Jesus, because we see people through our eyes, and we see them in light of how they're affecting us, how they're impacting us for good or for bad. And so we like certain people because of the benefit, the value, and we struggle to like or love other people because they're just, they always have a burden. They're always asking me to help bear their burdens. Does that reflect the heart of Jesus? No, when I think about those disciples, I think of him washing their feet. We know he washed Peter's feet, don't we? Because there was a little, little dialogue there. He washed all their feet. You think he washed Judas's feet? Yeah, he did. He did. I need to see people the way that Jesus sees people. Above all, Peter would tell us in his first letter, chapter 4, above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. 
And now you can be hospitable to one another when love covers those sins. If love does not cover the multitude of sins that you see in the lives of other people, you are not going to serve them. Is that not how Jesus sees you and me? Through the eyes of his love for us? Or does he look at us and, since you sat in the front row, he looks at Matt and Amy and goes, I don't know. It's been a tough week, guys, I'm just telling you. You know, the way you talked to her, that not cool, Matt. You know, and the way you... I don't know, the way you spent that money didn't tell him? Is that, I, might, I don't want to hit too close to home. <laughs> I'm speaking from my own marriage, okay? <laughs> you know, that you guys, not a great week. Uh, you know, I'll come back next week, check on you, and see if I got some good stuff for you, okay? He says, make sure that above all, you're maintaining constant love for one another, loving each other. We just went through 1 John and saw this, because love will cover a multitude of sins, and when that happens, now you can be hospitable to one another, and you can do it without complaining. You're gonna be charged when you leave this morning for marriage counseling, that, that's, your, that's your, your takeaway, so make sure you, you pay the fee. <laughs> right, husbands? Right, wives? Be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift from God. Is his, his implication here? He's talking what God gives us. Use that gift to do what? Serve others. In fact, be good stewards. Be good stewards of the very, very, the multiple ways that God has poured grace into your life. Why did God pour grace into your life and my life? He loves us. But his intent is that now I'm ready to serve other people. I can understand how deeply he loves me in my brokenness and sin, and he, he just loves me. And so he's hospitable to me. He meets my needs. He cares for me. He sees me through the eyes of his deep love, and he serves me. And the call on our life, if we're a follower of Jesus, is we need to see people the way that Jesus sees others. Or if this helps you, I need to see people the way Jesus sees me. Maybe you need to start there. Come to terms with your understanding of how Jesus sees you in his grace and his mercy and his love, his goodness. And the example of Jesus here in Philippians 2, this, this, this portrait of who Jesus is, he's telling us you have the same attitude as Jesus. You see people the way that he sees people. And this is hard. And I, I said it once, I want to say it again, I want it on videotape. I just want to acknowledge, anybody want to join me in that? If you're married, don't raise your hand, okay, just for your sake. It's hard, it's hard. I need to see people the way Jesus sees people. Number three, I need to embrace my identity as God's servant. See, Paul tells us here through the Holy Spirit that Jesus came and he lived among us, he took on human form, and he presented himself to the world as a servant. He owned it. Would you agree? You read through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus owned that he was a servant. He didn't demand, he didn't expect to be served, he didn't expect accolades, he didn't want people to like him, he didn't expect a big house, he didn't expect any of the comforts that we expect from whatever we're doing business with. You with me? Delivery times, oh my goodness. How dare they? This is, I paid for two day shipping. How come two days turned into nine days? Come on, serve me. My, my, my chai wasn't hot this morning. Serve me. They took way too much money out of my paycheck this week. Serve me. 
See, Jesus comes and he lives and he, he wears this mantle as a servant. This is who he is. And then he calls me to follow him and he says, Kurt, I want you to, to see yourself. I want you to wear this identity. You are my servant. And you have breath so that you can serve the people that I've put into your life. And it starts at home. It starts with my, my wife. It starts with my kids. It starts with my in-laws, son-in-laws. It starts with my children, my grandchildren my neighbor, with you. I need to embrace my identity as a servant. Again, this is hard for us in the West, particularly in the United States, and maybe even more particularly in California. Because you know what I'm told from the day I can hear and understand words? I'm told that I have rights. I'm an American. I have rights. I have the right that when I pay four seventy-five for a chai, <sighs> that it's quick and it's hot. And if it's not, I'm not going to pay. Mm -hmm. I don't do that, by the way. I do pay. <laughs> Boy, do I pay. <laughs> right? I have rights. I have the right, they, when they do take that money out of my paycheck, they better do with my money what I want them to do with my money and none of this other stuff that I don't. I have one right, and that is to die. To live as Christ, to die as gain. To crucify my flesh and live for him. Serve other people even if it costs me my Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what he modeled for us? I need to embrace my identity as God's servant. And finally, I need to let go of whatever it is that's keeping me from trusting him to take care of me. Because here's the pushback. It was in my mind this week several times, and some of you already have it in your mind too. If I live to serve other people, who's going to look out for me? Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to meet my needs? So we, that's how we think. And so you've got something that you're striving for. It could be a job. It could be a relationship. It could be money in the bank. It could be health care and health. But where is my security? What am I holding on to? If I'm going to serve others the way Jesus models for me, I need to let go of whatever it is that's keeping me from trusting in God alone to take care of me. Did the Father take care of Jesus? He was killed. He gave up his life. He suffered. And he was, he was, put into, he was wrapped up his body and put into a grave. Did God take care of Jesus? You're still clinging to that? And three days later, he rose from the dead. And 40-something days later, he ascends back to his position at the right hand of the Father. Did the Father take care of Jesus? Will the Father take care of you and me? If we don't believe that, we've got something else in its place. If we do believe that, then every day I need to just remind myself, let go, let go, let go. Whatever it is that I'm holding on to that's keeping me from trusting that God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, they've got me. And they're going to provide for me. They're going to take care of me. They're, they have my best in, in mind. What was Jesus holding on to? In John chapter 13, if you go back to the beginning of that chapter, we read in verse 3 that Jesus knew the Father had given everything into his hands. He knew that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. He had stepped down away from that position, emptied himself, but he knew where he was going back to. He knew who he was who had sent him, why he was, what he was here to do, 
And so he got up from supper, he laid aside his outer clothing, took on a towel, took the towel, tied it around himself, poured water into the basin, and he washed his disciples' feet. You and I can hold on to the Father, and you can sacrifice your life to serve others in the way that Jesus did, and you don't have to have any backup plan, you don't have to have anything else that you're holding on to, because the Father will hold on to you just like he held on to Jesus. Is that the, is that the message? I believe it is. That I need to let go of, lay aside whatever it is that's keeping me from serving people the way that Jesus did.